We started out with a love song because we're starting a love series. We're dealing with it for the next five weeks as a church about love, sex, dating, and marriage. We're going to be looking at these areas of our life, and specifically, I believe that if we can get these areas right by the help of God, then we will be given the, biggest, the best gift that we could have ever received. Because I don't believe there's a single area of life other than this that has the ability to affect all, affect all the other areas of our life. We're calling this series, I Want a New Marriage. But as Toby said earlier, it's not just for people that are married. What you're going to find out is we're going to look at the Word of God and it has incredible insight for us about what it is to have successful relationships. Whether you're married, whether you have been married, you're divorced or you're single. Maybe you're a college student or a student, a young person. I promise there's going to be a lot from God's Word to look at and to learn from. We're going to be looking at a 3,000-year-old book I don't know if you knew this, but there's an entire book of the Bible that's a love song. It's dedicated to between the love of a man and a woman. Um, the man's name was Solomon, and the one that he loved was named the Shulamite woman. And this book is called the Song of Solomon. And for the next five weeks, we're going to dedicate to walk through chapter by chapter and see what God's standard is and what God's ideal is for relationships. I think it's worth a try. Because we live, in the middle of a, we live in the middle of a world and a culture that relationships are not working out very good. As a matter of fact, half of us in this room have been affected by divorce. Half of us in this room have very close to our family, we have parents or, or brothers or sisters, we have people in our family that have experienced divorce. We have broken families, we have broken homes. Statistically, one out of every four couples in this room is currently facing a broken situation, currently facing a difficult spot in your marriage relationship. And I just believe that that's not the way it should be. I don't think that's God's ideal. And I think the reason why it is the way it is, because we live in a culture that's lied to us. Constantly, there's messages that are going forth about what it means to have the right relationships in our life. And I believe it's a lie. Because I believe God's standard, if we'll look at it, I believe God's standard is right. God invented all this. God's the one who invented all this. Maybe some people say, well, why are we talking about sex and relationships and marriage in church? And I say, well, why shouldn't we talk about it in church, right? You can't go to the grocery store without seeing what, what's, what's happening in the world about these areas. And you know what? God invented it, right? Like this is God's idea, so I think he, he wrote the book on it, right? So he has the right thing. So I want to challenge you for the next five weeks to, to sit on the edge of your seat and take notes and just give God a chance. Give God's ways a chance. Give God's word a chance because that's exactly what we're going to be looking at. I promise I'm not going to be sharing just my opinions and my thoughts. We're going to look at a 3,000-year-old book of the Bible and see what God's standard is for the area of our relationships. And I believe that the truth will set us free. I believe that through the truth of God's word, through obeying God's word, I believe we can have the greatest relationships and that, that, that we ever could even, even imagine. I believe that it's God's idea that we have incredible relationships that are God-honoring, that are lasting, so that all the world will be able to look and see the love that we have for one another and how that's a picture of who our God really is. You see, Solomon, this, this, this book that we're going to be looking at is called The Song of Solomon. But it's, it's really probably better translated, and maybe if you have a newer translation of the Bible, it's translated Song of Songs. And what you'll find is Solomon was a songwriter, and he wrote over a thousand songs in his lifetime. And what he says is that the love song 
between him and his wife was the greatest song that he ever had. And that's really my prayer for you during this series, is that you and I could have the kind of love that whenever life is through, we'll say that was the greatest song. That was the greatest part of life instead of the worst part of life. So I want to give you some background about this book and what it is. This was written by Solomon, by King Solomon in the scripture. He was the third king of Israel. He was the son of David. He was a songwriter, as I said before. This book was written about 900 B.C., which is about 3,000 years ago. This is pretty crazy when we think about it. We're going to be looking at something that was penned 3,000 years ago, and it's spicy. It's a very spicy book. As a matter of fact, it was so spicy that in Jesus' day, you had to be 17 years old before you could even read the book. Like, it was spicy, It has all kinds of incredible, incredible truths about love. And that's exactly what we're going to look at. I want to give you some ground rules for this series. First of all, no elbows. So listen for yourself. If you're here with your spouse or significant other, I promise you're going to want to elbow them and say, look, see, didn't you hear what I told you last night? That's your problem. That's your issue. Uh, You're going to want to elbow. Don't elbow them. Take it for yourself. Receive what God would say for you. Don't worry about them. Uh, Secondly, don't be discouraged. When we start talking about this area of our lives, I promise you, the very first thing that's going to happen is there are going to be those of us in this room that are going to feel condemned because of mistakes that we've made in the past. Satan is a master of condemnation. Condemnation says, look how bad you are. You'll never be any better than this. God will never love you. You can never fulfill what he called you to do. Nobody's going to love you. You're worthless. That's condemnation. But God wants to bring conviction. Conviction says, yes, you may have made mistakes in the past, but here's a way out. Church, I want to give you some good news today. Jesus makes all things new. No matter how many mistakes that you've made in the past in the area of relationships, and let me clue you in on it, we've all made mistakes in the area of our relationships. Don't give the devil a moment to condemn you. You step forward in the name of Jesus and say, from this day forward, maybe you made a mistake last night. Let today be a brand new day whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a teenager, let today be a brand new day in your future because that's why we're here. Because there's hope and life in Jesus Christ. Um, thirdly, this is a PG-13 series. <laughs> so I say that to say this, that, that if there are small children, you have, you have smaller kids that are below 13, it's up to your discretion. I promise there's not going to be anything that's purposely crash or crude that said we're just going to look at what God's word says. But if I'll say if a, kid's over, if a child is over 13, we'll probably be surprised by what they already know because of school, right? And uh, we're going we're gonna to look specifically at what God's Word said. And if, and if you'd like to um, give, take your child to City Hills Kids, we, I promise you we have some incredible kids volunteers that would be more than happy to. And I'm going to pray here in a moment. You're welcome to take them out. But we're going to be looking at this. And then number four, this book is full of allegories. There's full of all kinds of allegories that to us today may not make sense, but they're awesome. They're just great. Some of them are, um, some of them are, um, are, are really interesting that you could probably use them if you're single. This would be great, some great pickup lines or not so great pickup lines. Let's look at what they are. I have some um, on the screen. They're not in your notes. He says, how beautiful you are, my beloved. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Pretty good one. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Your teeth, this is one of my favorites, are like a flock of newly shorn ewe lambs coming up from the washing. He said, baby, you got some clean teeth. (laughs) 
Each one has its twin, and not one of them's alone. He said, not only are they clean, they're all there. <laughs> like, you are not toothless, and I'm happy about it. <laughs> it says, your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue. There's no translation needed for that one. And your fragr- the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. How many know that's not a compliment anymore either? Your belly is like, the heap, is like a heap of wheat. Your nose are like the tower of Lebanon, which faces toward Damascus. These are an allegory about life, and, and not, this isn't truthfully what she looks like. Because if she looked like this, really, this is what she'd look like. Uh, some, she got <laughs> tower for a neck, her hair looks like goats, all this kind of stuff. That's not what the scripture's saying. It's saying that she was a beautiful woman, but it just uses the allegory. So throughout this series, we're going to be looking into the allegories. And uh, I'm going to do some. I'm going to be doing some study and looking into what the allegories are, and we're going to work together. And I encourage you to study this on your own at home. But before we get into what we're going to talk about today, I want to show you a thirty thousand foot view of where we're going for the next five weeks, so you can plan uh, your weeks. This week we're going to be dealing with chapter one, which is their attraction and what attracted them to one another. Week two, we're going to be looking at their courtship, their dating relationship, and how they, how they pursued one another, and how even if you're dating, this has, this has incredible application. If you're married, so many times after we have pursued that person and we're married to them, we stop pursuing them. So we're going to be looking at how to continue to pursue one another through the seasons. Number three, we're going to be looking at, week three, we're going to be looking at intimacy. You want to make sure you don't miss that, because Honeymoon night lasts two chapters in the Song of Solomon. Um, so we're going to look at what that is and how to, um, how to, how to have intimacy that's God-honoring and it's, that, that's, that's what God's ideal is for that. Number four, we're, week four, we're going to look at conflict because after they have two weeks of loving, they have two, two chapters of loving, they have two chapters of fighting. <laughs> they argue and fight for, they have a disagreement, they fight for two chapters and isn't that marriage. You've got to learn how to fight right. And so we're going to look at how they fought and how they resolved conflict. And then week five, we're going to be talking about how to have love that lasts a lifetime. Because that's really a rare thing in our culture and society. And what does it look like to be, have a love that lasts for a lifetime, a love that's faithfulness and God-honoring? Before we get into today's message, I want to take a moment and just pray. Because I know this, if the enemy wants to, if there's any area of our life he wants to hijack, it's this. And if there's any area we need the truth of God's word in, it's this. And here's what I know. In this room, there are so many different situations that I can never speak to them individually. There are so many different nuances and intricacies. And if you're with us today, you'll notice your notes doesn't have, don't have as many blanks as usually it does because I really just want you to take this to the Lord and to ask God what the application is for you. But I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak what words that I could never say, that he'd bring healing to hurts, that he, would, that he would bring application, that he would mend broken marriages, that he would mend things, that he would just let this series be life-changing for us. Would you pray with me together? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, in the middle of a broken culture, we have a perfect word. Lord, that law of liberty, that we look at it, and it changes us from the inside out. Lord, help us to see 
your word and be changed by it. God, help us to live differently, God. Help strengthen marriages in this room, God. Help people that are dating and courting, God. Let it be God-honoring. Let it be pleasing to you, God. Help us to all learn from your word and be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get, let's get to it. Song of Solomon chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to begin at the beginning. What was it that drew them to one another? What was the attraction? We're going to, we're going to see what that was. It says, Solomon's song of songs. Here it is. Here's how his song begins. Pretty good. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. She says to him, baby, you are one of a kind. The love that we have is priceless. That you are pure like perfume. That there is something so special that we have and I'm so attracted to you. And I, it's no wonder why all the other young girls just would say, oh, what would it be like to have Solomon? What was it that attracted her to him? Did she say you are the hottest thing in the world, that you are a hottie with a body? Is that what attracted her to him? Well, we're going to look today at the order of attraction. That's what I'm calling this message today, the order of attraction. Because I believe we naturally get the order wrong. And if we're attracted in the wrong order, we take it out of order, which is, I believe, what our culture does. We get the wrong result. But if we will take the order right and attract the right thing, be attracted to the right thing and attract the right thing in the right order, I believe we will have Something different. You know, if we want to be different, we have to be willing to do something different. So, so what was the order of their attraction? You can put this in your notes. The first aspect of attraction was not physical. It was not physical. They had spiritual attraction. Notice what she says about him. She says, your name is like a perfume poured out. She said, you have a godly character about you. That is so attractive to me. She said, your name is so incredible. It's like purified oil. You have a reputation and a character that's absolutely incredible. And that's what I'm attracted to. I am attracted to your character. See... In marriage, we are so, and in relationships, we're so focused on finding the right person. That when we're dating, we want to find the right person. Well... What, what we see in the scripture and in the attraction that they had is it's not, about it's not as much about finding the right person as it is becoming the right person. It's not as so much about finding the right person that will complete me. It's about becoming the right person that God has called me to be. Because no person on planet earth can ever complete you. No spouse is ever meant to complete your life. Because every person on this planet is a very flawed individual. But we are complete, the Bible says, in Jesus Christ. So the more we become like Him, the more we become the person that God has called us to be, then God can allow, then God begins to move in the life of the other person. And it's not so much about the other person as it is about me. There may be some of us in this room that you're here and you think, well, I've married the wrong person. It's too late. Like, I, I wish I would have found the wrong... I married the wrong 
person. I want to bring some hope today and let you know you did not marry the wrong person. That, that you married exactly who you were supposed to marry. And the focus does not need to be on changing the other person. But watch, what was it about Solomon? He had a character in himself. He had worked on himself. So I want to challenge you. What makes you attractive? Work on the godly character in your own life. And it will bring an attraction to you of the godly character in others and in your spouse. This is exactly what happened in the Song of Solomon. We'll read on in verses 5 and 7. It's in your notes. She says, so she says to him, Oh, you have an incredible character. You have a godly character. I'm spiritually attracted She says, dark am I, yet lovely. She's speaking of her own self, of her own body. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. She says, do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. What she's saying there is that there was an insecurity in her life. In that day, it was not not considered beautiful to be to, to be sunburned or to be tanned because it literally meant that you were a migrant worker. It literally meant that you were just the lowest of the low, that you were, you were a, somebody that was, that was in poverty. You were not someone who would, would sit in a palace and you, you would never get sunburned. And she says, I'm very insecure about my body. I'm very insecure about my skin, that, 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 that there's something about me that I'm very not proud of. And she tells why. She says, my mother's son's were angry with me and made me to take care of the vineyards. So in other words, I had to work in the field. My brothers made me. She said, my own vineyard. She uses this allegory about her own body. She says, my own body, I've had no neglect. She said, tell me, you whom I love, where do you graze your flock where you rest your sheep at midday? She's saying to him, where, where, where do you live? Like... I'm attracted to your, like, where do you live? I am attracted to your character. And watch, she reveals something about her own character in the next line. She says, why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? She essentially says that you have friends, Solomon, that they're only concerned with people that are veiled women, which was like a prostitute in their day. She said, your friends, they are concerned about being with Somebody that's easy. They're going to be like everybody else. They're just part of the culture. Said, but where are you at, Solomon? Because I know you're not like that. And she says, I'm not like that either because I have a higher standard in my life. I'm not like the veiled women. In other words, there's an integrity. There's a spirituality in me that I am living my life to love, serve, and honor God. So what does that look like in our life? I want to give you some practical things. You want to be more attractive? You want to bring some fresh life into maybe a dead relationship, a dead marriage? You want to be attracted as a, as a single person to the right relationship? Love and honor God with all your heart. Have some values. Don't act like the veiled woman, the Shulamite would say. Be a worshiper of God. I promise you there's not a woman in this room that's not attracted to a man that's willing to lift up his hand and give praise to God. Why? Because there's a spiritual attraction that God made that magnetic and that's God's ideal. That that if you will get intense about saying, Jesus, I want to serve you, I want to follow you, I want to honor you with my life, then there's an attraction, there's a fresh life that will be brought into your relationships. Secondly, get connected to your God-given purpose. If you're married, this is a beautiful thing. Um, that, that if you're married, getting connected to your purpose together is such a powerful thing. Serve together. 
Go, go, go as a couple and go to City Hills Kids and, and serve kids together and, and love on them and, and have fun with them together as a family, together as a couple. Find a small group that you can attend together. Find something that you can do together. Go greet people in the parking lot, not individually, but together. Find your purpose. Get connected together. It can heal your marriage. And here's the third application. Have a higher standard in your life. Have a higher standard. If you're single, I want to challenge you. Have a higher standard. Whatever, your, whatever the cultural standard is around us, regardless of what your past looks like, it's a brand new day, I want to challenge you from this day forward to have a higher standard. To not do what everybody else does. We live in a culture today, it's, it's just the absolute normal thing to sleep together before you're married. But it's also the absolute normal thing to get a divorce in just a couple years and to have a broken relationship. If you want what the world has, just keep doing what everyone else is doing. But have a higher standard and just watch what God will do. Make a decision, make a choice to follow God's way. Say, well, that sounds archaic. People are going to make fun of me. Yes, they may, but, but I promise that God's word is true. And 3,000 years ago, it's, it's, it's still as true as it was then. That have a higher standard in your life. If you're married, I want to challenge you, have a higher standard in your marriage. Have some personal standards that you have that are higher than what our culture deems as being normal. One of the standards I have in my life is that years ago I made a decision. I'm never going to be alone with. I'm gonna, never going to be alone in any place if I can help it with so, with uh, with someone of the opposite sex that's not my wife. So so that means that that's a standard in my life. That's something that I've put as a standard, a higher standard. It's not against the law. It's not, it's not sinful to, 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 to just to be in the same room with someone of the opposite sex alone. It's not, it's not innately sinful. But there's times, because it's a standard in my life, that I will be riding an elevator and a, and a woman gets in and there's, I, I'll have to get off the elevator. And you say, well, that's, that's weird. That's strange. No, it's a standard in my life. That's something that I've put above. It's not something you have to do. Not something anybody else has to do. But you know what? I don't trust me. And I want to make sure that I am living a life that my wife, that my spouse can say, I, I'm not worried a bit about them because they have some standards. There's a higher standard about the way that they live. And that's just one small example of, and you can have your own as, as, as you talk to God about it. But, but have a higher standard. Don't just go with what our culture says. If you want what our culture has, just do what it does. But if you want something different, be willing to have a higher standard in your life. So the first thing that attracted them, the most important thing, was, was the character, that spiritual attraction there. Had some standards, had some love for God. They didn't do what everybody else did. Here's the second thing that attracted them was emotional attraction. Emotional attraction. Emotional attraction. Um, verse 9 says, I liken you, my darling. That word darling literally could be translated my best friend. He says, you are my friend. I love hanging out with you. He says, I liken you, this is funny, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. He said, baby, you like one of Pharaoh's horses. <laughs> Not so much a compliment today. But in that day, Pharaoh's horses were, 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 were worshipped like deity. They were one of a kind. They were expensive. They were rare. What was he saying? He was communicating to her that you are a one-of-a-kind person to me. You are so special. You are so important. What was he doing? There was an emotional attraction that was happening in their relationship. 
He was saying, baby, you're one of a kind. He, he goes on. He says, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. Your neck with a string of jewels. We, we will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. While the king was at, at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. I don't know what a sachet of myrrh is, but I'm sure he was glad to be one. I don't know what it is. I worked on that all week, guys. Come on, give me a break. What did he say? He said, There's something, you are one of a kind, that there is none like you. Here's some, here's some aspects of emotional attraction. Never stop developing friendship. If you're dating, friendship, friendship, friendship. Too many times we're in lust and we're not in love because we're not, we skip over this idea of friendship. He said, baby, you're one of a kind to me. Laugh together. Take a date night. As, as a small group, we have a... We have two small groups that are launching. One is a, one is a, a marriage small group that's launching uh, this week called Marriage on the Rock. And not on the rocks, Marriage on the Rock. And it's all about growing deeper in your marriage relationship. And I promise it's, they're going to do a lot better job than I am because you're, it's going to be a small group. You're going to be able to ask questions. And if this is something you need to work on, I promise, check out that small group. Sign up that, for that small group. If you have kids um, and, and you need a date night, um, we, we're doing a date night a rotating small group where, uh, if, man, if you need a date night and you have kids, we, we'll, we'll, the, we'll, we'll do a rotation where we'll watch, one, one couple will watch, uh, the couples will watch the kids and one couple will go on a date. And then the other, then the next week another couple will go on a date because you know what? We need to make sure we're developing friendship. We want to do this as a church. We want to make sure that our relationships are God-honoring. That we're making sure that we're enjoying one another. Go on a date together. Spend time together. Because life has such a way of crowding all this out, doesn't it? Just two weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary. And, and, and we had family come in to watch our boys. And we went out on a date night. And just, just spent the night laughing. And went to the movies. And we just, we just said, we were the only ones in the theater. And we just laughed. And we just had a blast together. And we looked at each other and said, Man, we need to do this more often. Because life just has a way of, when we're dating, it's just off. It's so much friendship. But then whenever you get married, it's life and bills and mortgage and kids and all these things. And what would it be like to say, I'm going to make sure sure that our emotional attraction stays the, stays the same and keep, continues to grow. Here's the next application is speak their love language. Speak their love language. I always try to be very careful when I talk about relationships and, and saying, well, guys are always like this and girls are always like this because I found it's not. Every marriage is different. Every individual is just that. They're an individual. But here's what I've found is that most married couples do not have the same love language. It's fascinating. That we marry people that are opposite than us. When we're, when we're dating, opposites attract. But when we're married, opposites attack. <laughs> Heard one man say that their marriage is so bad that they're fulfilling Matthew chapter 25 where it says that there will be wars and rumors of wars on the earth. <laughs> Was it that we got to speak one another's love language? we got to make sure we're speaking. One of my love language is words of affirmation. I love it whenever my wife says kind things to me. And I promise I can speak some words of affirmation to her. I can tell her how beautiful she is and how good of a singer. I can just go all the things about her. And you know what? It would not matter as much to her if I said a thousand things if I washed just one dish. 
Just one act of service means the world to her. One gift, one thing. Her love language are different than mine. Mine are not gifts. I don't, I don't, I don't get all that excited when someone gives me a gift. But my wife, I can just bring her one small thing. You, you got this for me. You thought about me. What is it? We're speaking different love languages. And here's what I know. That there is someone out there that is willing to speak your spouse's love language. Affairs, I believe, do not start physical. I believe affairs start emotionally. Because there is a deficiency in someone's, in, in someone's communicating their love language. That the need is not always sex, but it's an emotional need. If you want more information about this, Gary Chapman wrote an incredible book called The Five Love Languages. They are words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, physical touch, and acts of service. I would challenge you to get to know what your spouse's love language is if you're married. And find out how can I make sure I'm speaking that language. That's what, that's what Solomon did. And then the last attraction is physical attraction. Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 15 reading on. He says, how beautiful you are my darling. He says, you are fine. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And she says, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. Our bed is verdant. The beams of your house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. They said, you are beautiful. You are fine. I'm physically attracted to you. In just a couple weeks, we're going to do a whole message about this. Because this book of the Bible gives two whole chapters to it. And you don't want to miss that. But here's, here's what I want to draw attention to today. That I believe we live in a culture where it's about 80%, 75-80% percent physical. It's just all about the physical. And it's a little bit about the emotional and it's little to none to do with the spiritual. And I believe that's one of the reasons why we live in a culture that's broken. Because we are attracting and we, we are becoming the wrong things. But if we'll flip the equation... If we'll fall in love not just because someone's hot. If we'll fall in love not just because of how somebody looks if, or, or how our spouse looks or just the things we just forgot. Some of us, we've just forgotten to be, we say, well, they're not attractive to me anymore. And you say, well, if you look at your own life, maybe you've stopped being attractive as well. What would it look like if you worked on yourself, focused on being spiritually attractive, focused on your relationship with God, focused on spending time together emotionally, spending, and then not just the physical of the relationship. I believe it would change everything. I want to show you what happens as a result of this. As a result of this relationship. That was the right attraction. Chapter 2. Of Song of Solomon says. She says I am a rose of Sharon. A singular. She said I am unique. I am a lily of the valley. Singular. Like a lily among thorns. My, my darling among the young women. See, when right attraction happens, watch what happens. She feels special. She feels special. She feels one of a kind. That he loves her. He adores her. He cherishes her. He treasures her. It's a beautiful thing. Because their attraction was right. And then the second thing she feels is she feels secure. She feels secure. She says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. 
No translation needed for that. It says, she says, I'm secure in our relationship. See, that's what our world's missing. A security. This lady says, I am secure. Man, we're called to bring security to our wives. You, if you're married, you're called to be three things to your wife. You're called to be pastor, provider, and protector. You are the pastor of your home. You are the leader of your family. You are the one that makes the decision if we're going to pray as a family. You are the one that's going to make the decision if we're going to study the scripture as a family. If we're going to go to church. If we're going to raise our kids to serve God. You are going to be the one to make the decision and say, I'm going to lead the home. Because when this happened right, when he, he had an attractiveness and a love for God, she says, I feel so secure. Like you're, you're bringing me security. Secondly, we're called to be men, we're called to be providers. And this has nothing to do with, with women working or not working. It's a beautiful thing that, that, that we have, that, that ladies are able to be in the workforce and doing incredible work. And this is not about money as much as it is simply that we set the tone for what our house is gonna, what our house is gonna be financially. We're gonna make sure that it's 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 budgeted. We're gonna make sure that our family's living within our means, that we are financially secure. See, she says, I'm secure in the way that we're living, in the way that we're you're providing. I'm secure in you. And lastly, protector. That if there's danger, we lay our lives down. We are a safe place. That men, we provide emotional protection for our spouse. That she knows when she talks to us, she's not. our friends aren't going to hear about it. That there's a safety, an emotional safety, a one-of-a-kind relationship that we have with our spouse. And because of that, watch what happens next. Song of Solomon 2, 5, she says, Strengthen me with raisins, which is an aphrodisiac. She says, Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm under my head and his right arm embraces me. In other words, she said, Man, because there's a right attraction. She says, This is a beautiful thing. I want to give all of myself to this kind of a relationship. Because that's what it does. And then because they're not married yet, because it's not time yet, because they, haven't, because they haven't followed the way that they're supposed to just quite yet, we're going to look at, this, we're going to look at the, the following chapters and what that looks like. But they stop it right there. They, are, they, don't, they don't sleep together. And they say, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Man. This is in the Bible, folks. <laughs> like, this is in the Bible. God says, it's possible to have such a love that it's so honoring to God. So much so that it's a picture of, of the bride of Christ to our world. See, this Song of Solomon is it's also allegorical about who Jesus is and our, the allegory of Christ and the church as well. Because that's exactly what we're called to be. Called to have a closeness and a relationship with God like never before. I want to tell you today, don't let the enemy bring condemnation on your life in relationships. Jesus makes all things brand new. That today is a brand new day. And regardless of what you've done up to this point, I want to challenge you today to make a decision to follow God. To make a decision to repent. To make a decision to go against the culture. I just challenge you for a couple weeks. Just listen to what the scripture says and just say, Okay, God, I'm going to give you a chance. I want to give you two challenges. First of all, I challenge you to go God's way. I challenge you to do things 
the way God would, God's word would say. Make the decision to do that. And then secondly, I challenge you to let Jesus into your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can't do this on your own. You can't, you're not supposed to. You cannot do this on your own. That's why so many of us are just in a cycle of wrong choices. Because we're trying to get better on our own. You know what? You can't get better on your own. You need Jesus. You need the help and the Savior. And He's here today. If, you need, if you're here in this place and you say, every, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give us an opportunity to pray. If you're here today and you say, I want God to make my relationships brand new, why don't you just lift up your hand all over this room to, today. You say, God, I want, to make, I want you to make my relationships brand new. Yeah. God, I want, to make a, I want this to be a brand new thing in my life. Do a fresh work in me. God, would you help us? God, would you give us strength from this time? God, I know you came not to condemn us, God, but you came to bring us fresh life. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you do not leave us alone in this most important aspect of our life, God, but you give us brand new life. You give us brand new hope. God, you give us a future in you, and we can trust you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would heal marriages. I pray that you would touch broken things and bring new life. In the name of Jesus, we pray.